Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 756 with Stephen Guys. Stephen's got some excellent perspective on how to become an imperfectionist, which can lead you to a happier, healthier, more productive life and more awesomeness at your jobs. You'll learn one, the two-letter shift that stops rumination, two, two tricks to stop caring about what other people think, and three, how to move past the doubt of starting something new. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to Adam we've referenced, please pay us a visit at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP756. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, please check out some of our goodies like the full text transcripts that are searchable and the gold nugget email list and so much more at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Stephen's story. Stephen Geis is an international best-selling author, blogger, and entrepreneur. His books are read in 21 languages. He loves psychology, cats, and basketball which completely define him as a person. Big thanks to Stephen for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Stephen. Stephen, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thanks, Pete. It's good to be here. Well, I'm excited to get into your wisdom, and I'm also curious to learn about your Chipotle habit. How bad is it, and what's the story? <laughs> well, I'm currently seeing someone for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I eat there probably five plus times a week. It's just... It's pretty decent food as far as fast food goes. Like they, they use good ingredients. They do put oil in the rice. I'm a bit of a health nut, but mm -hmm. uh, it's good enough for me. And it's delicious. It is. I get the salad and with the double meat. And, and I feel pretty darn good about it in terms of like a health profile, what it's delivering. I know tortilla, no, no rice. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a healthy choice. I don't always get the salad, but uh, it depends on if I'm bulking, trying to put on muscle weight. Right, bulking and cutting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, I hear you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about uh, perfectionism, and your your book is called How to Be an Imperfectionist, The New Way to Self-Acceptance, Fearless Living, and Freedom from Perfectionism. All those sound like great things. Could you tell us maybe a particularly surprising or counterintuitive discovery you've made along the way when it comes to researching perfectionism? Yeah, I, I found out that everybody has it. <laughs> okay. Because 
when people talk about perfectionism, it's generally in a pretty narrow way. I think people talk about it in terms of performance quality, but it's actually a massive topic with different subsets and there are different forms of perfectionism. For example, one that I thought of that I don't even think is in other literature is the idea of a perfect goal. Like in terms of exercise, you might only accept 30 minutes or else it's not good enough. That's perfectionism. Mm-hmm. So want to have a perfect goal in that. It's like, well, if I can't do 30 minutes of exercise, just forget it. I'm not even going to bother doing anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I have been guilty. <laughs> uh, I've been guilty of that. And my newfound belief is that one minute is infinitely more than zero minutes per simple division. <laughs> and that encourages me sometimes to, to do a little bit, which is better than nothing. So, okay. Well then I'd love to hear some wisdom there in terms of fundamentally, okay, perfectionism, we've all got at least a little bit inside of us. At your book, How to Be an Imperfectionist, what's kind of the big idea or or main thesis here? The main idea is not to be perfectly imperfectionist. That's Mm. that's kind of a, a tricky area is you can try to be perfectly imperfect, if that makes sense, which it probably doesn't, but... Okay. So the idea of being an imperfectionist is not to do it perfectly. It's to be happier, healthier, and more productive with less stress. Because perfectionism is misattributed as excellence quite often when they're actually separate concepts. You can strive for excellence. You can be awesome at your job without trying to do it perfectly. Okay. Well, so let, let's expand upon this this benefit here, being happier, healthier, more productive with less stress. That sounds lovely. Can you give us a perspective on just how much unhappiness, unhealthiness, uh, unproductivity does perfectionism bring to us? Any, any stories or research or, or studies or anecdotes uh, along these lines? Oh, quite a few of them, actually. Uh, we could start with the really dark stuff, if you want. Okay. (laughs) You have me intrigued. Let's do it. Sure. Let's start with death. Okay. So there's a study on 450 elderly people, and they found that those with perfectionistic tendencies were 51% more likely to die in the course of the six and a half year study. So that's just like a general thing. And then there are numerous studies linking perfectionism to both depression and suicide. And Hmm. even more studies finding that that risk has been underestimated. Hmm. If anyone's interested, they can look up Kurt Cobain. Uh, There's some really many people know he committed suicide. His quotes are just full of perfectionism. Oh, I see. He, I think one of, one of his quotes is, I'm sorry that it was never enough or something to that extent. I, I found it really interesting. Uh, Hmm. in my research for the book. Uh, So yeah, depression, suicide, death, anorexia, I would say is the the poster child of perfectionism. Hmm. One of the most difficult mental disorders to treat, and obviously people die from that as well. And then you have lighter things like just performance. Those 
a study on 51 undergraduate women found that those who tested high in perfectionism, it was like a writing test where they were asked to reword a passage as concisely as possible without losing the meaning. Those with perfectionism wrote passages that were, quote, judged significantly poorer in quality than subjects low in perfectionism. Hmm. So that that speaks to the the whole idea of perfectionism. Well, at least you get excellence. Not exactly. (laughs) Right. Well, and and I'm curious if that particular task, it might be, I don't know, the stress of of knowing like, oh, but I've really got to nail this. Remember that sentence. Remember those words. Remember those words. And you sort of miss sort of like the broader idea. I'm speculating here. Hmm. So yeah, at times perfectionism reduces your performance. We had uh, Tom Curran, a researcher on perfectionism on the show, talking about how in any number of studies, they just can't find a correlation between perfectionism and performance. Like sometimes it helps you a little bit, but it hurts you other, so, such that it all kind of shakes out to be like, no, nope. it is a very different thing than, than striving for excellence indeed. It's a very difficult thing to study as well because you're relying on people's impression of themselves saying like their perfectionistic tendencies. So there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of difficulty in studying something like it. But I do have a a good quote that I wish I had put in my book about it. And that is, the more you worry about performance, the less you can focus on performing. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets to the heart of what I'm saying. It doesn't, generally speaking, help you to worry about how you're performing. Yeah, that's true. Because it only distracts you from the process. I hear that. I think, as I reflect on my own experiences, sometimes that worry can be a bit useful in terms of, ooh, I better prepare now. So it sort of motivates me to stop procrastinating or goofing around and, and, and get down to business. But yeah, if, if I'm worrying about how I'm doing while I'm doing the thing, that's, that's real bad news. While, yes. Yeah. A good example of that is basketball. If you think about a hot shooter versus a cold shooter, the cold shooter is much more worried about his next shot because he doesn't want to let the team down. He's thinking about how he's missed all of his previous shots. The hot shooter is much more relaxed and confident that he thinks he's going to make his next shot. Mm-hmm. So you have a, a big difference in in them worrying about their performance and the one who's less worried is going to perform better. That's good. Okay, well, so let's talk about how does one become not perfectionistic? How does one become an imperfectionist? And, and I don't know, you've got five subsets of perfectionism. Is it helpful to take that as a, a route to the antidote or how would you like to proceed? Yeah, we could do that. Okay. You want to start with like unrealistic expectations? Yeah, what's that all about? So expectations are a really interesting thing in life. I I like to say that we should have generally high expectations for our lives, be an optimist, but it can become very problematic when you have specific high expectations, in which case you, like perfectionists, they have unrealistic expectations. And that That's why it's correlated with depression, because they're always underneath what they expect and hope to be. That's depressing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So 
someone who struggles with this will have the mindset of like, I will never have bad days and everything will come easy to me so that when struggle inevitably comes as it does for us all, it throws them off balance and uh, it can affect them emotionally, which can spiral from there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so I guess that the prescription there is, I don't know, stop having unrealistic expectations. Or maybe in practice, how does one do that? Yeah. So we touched on the perfect goals. That's a big one. I wrote a book called Mini Habits, which is about setting very low goals which is a low expectation, such as one push-up a day. That's the one that changed my life. For example, I <laughs> I tried 10 years the other way of like getting motivated and doing the minimum 30-minute workout. It was only when I lowered my expectations to, I'm only going to do one push-up or more a day, but I am going to show up every day. That's what changed my life. And it's crazy, but... That's what happens when you lower your expectations and allow yourself to shatter them and develop uh, positive associations with with whatever you're trying to change, whether it's exercise or your relationship with your work. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, and and you've got quite the story with the one push up challenge. We'll we'll definitely link to that on your, your website. So inspiring stuff. So, okay. So swap out the unrealistic expectations for a, a tiny expectation and you may act surprisingly end up with fantastic results. So how about the rumination? Rumination is focusing on past events, namely negative past events. And it's it's often defined by uh, self-talk, how you think about your past you a ruminator will say things like oh i should have done this oh i should have done that and that is just loaded with guilt and shame a solution for that is you can change that should have to could have which is a lot less heavy and it focuses more on opportunity than the guilt and weight of what you think is a poor decision mhm okay could have. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. That's literally two letters <laughs> of shift there. Yeah, right. And yet should is like, ah, uh, I failed. I screwed up. I I don't know, even depending on your, your language or your upbringing, you might be like, I have, I have done wrong. I have sinned. I have made a grievous error and mistake versus, oh, you know, hey, that's another th- way that things could have gone. And uh, I prefer that way. So, okay. Noted. That feels a lot better. Yeah, it's a lot lighter. Okay. And how about the subset, the need for approval? Yeah, this is a pretty common one people have. A lot of people care about what others think of them, and I think that's somewhat normal, but it can it can get to a point where it's problematic. And <laughs> the solution I give for this one's a little strange. I call it rebellion practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it boils down to just embarrassing yourself a little bit in public. So like singing in public, you could just like lie down in a public space for 30 seconds. People are going to judge you. They're going to say, what's wrong with that person? Or be worried. Are you okay? Do you need the paramedics? (laughs) 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 Send an ambulance. Yeah. But these things don't hurt anyone. You can wear a fanny pack. (laughs) I don't know why that's hilarious, but it is. <laughs> I don't, it just, it's a funny looking thing. Mm-hmm. 
walk in slow motion. Yeah, or 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 power walk with gusto. Sure, yeah, is the, as though you had hiking sticks, but you don't. Or maybe bring the hiking sticks. <laughs> maybe a more reasonable one. Just talk to strangers, which yeah, you know, is uncomfortable. But it, anything that exposes you to the judgment of others is good because the things we're exposed to, we get used to. Yeah. So someone who needs approval, they're they're constantly worrying and like thinking, oh, what if this when they just kind of put themselves out there and find that they can be embarrassed and that it's it's actually okay and that it maybe it doesn't need to be embarrassing, the more they they can practice that, the better they're gonna be. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. We had a guest talk about just putting a there's an exercise where you just put a big dot on your face somewhere with like a, a permanent marker. And so it's just there and you know, it's there and other people can see it's there. And, and so then you, you just have that practice. It's also interesting to see who, who lets you know <laughs> versus, uh, yeah. versus who doesn't. And but this brings me back to high school. I don't know why, but I recall we competed in the future problem solvers world championships Woo. It was mostly the U.S. plus Canada and this a few folks from Korea, <laughs> but three countries <laughs> makes it the world championship. <laughs> and I think we were surprised. We didn't realize we had to prepare like a sketch of our solution. So with like, oh, what are we doing? We have no good ideas. We sort of spent all of our good creative energy doing the actual problem solving, and now we have to present it. And so I remember we just did something so dumb. I think one of us was barking out orders like a drill sergeant or something in front of the the judges and the other students who were competing. And we got a number of looks like, <laughs> what is your deal? What is going on with you? <laughs> and and afterwards, I, I couldn't explain it. Wow, Steve, you're really taking me back. It takes <laughs> 20 years to explain that moment. Wow. But part of me thought, somehow I think the fact that we totally humiliated ourselves is healthy and good. And we ought to do this from time to time. I don't know why, but it just seems like this is nourishing something inside of me. And now I know <laughs> it's helping turn down the volume on the need for approval mm. and thus making me all the more free and at peace. Because prior to that, you were maybe walking in this perfectionistic image. Maybe. I mean, I don't know the context, but a lot of people walk around in these very light perfectionistic shells that they're they're scared to break the shell. So they play it safe. Yeah, that's true. And it's sort of like the self-fulfilling prophecy associated with which opportunities do you take on? And because you don't take them on, you can not be enriched and expanded and stretched from it. And maybe you're right. I, I think we got eighth in the world. Hey, was where where we placed, and and I felt pretty great about that. Even though a perfectionist might demand number one, <laughs> <laughs> they might. <laughs> but eighth in the world is like that's pretty sweet. I'll take it. Well, it's really just three countries, but <laughs> okay. So we got a couple of subsets left. The concern over mistakes. Let's hear it. That is basically if I mess this up, my life will be ruined. That's kind of the thought behind this subset. There's a really one of my favorite stories is related to this. It's uh, Heather Dornadin. It's a very popular YouTube video. You can look it up. But basically, Heather was in a 600-meter race, and she was favored to win. So 
the race begins and she's doing great. She's in the lead. Not not by much, but she's in the lead. And it's a uh, 600 meter race is three laps. It's basically a sprint. Mm-hmm. But Heather uh, trips and falls down into last place. <laughs> and at this point, the you hear the announcers saying like, oh, well, at least her teammates doing well. <laughs> mm. But Heather gets up pretty quickly. She's still behind a ton because this is a sprint. This is a race. And uh, she starts catching up. And long story short, Heather actually wins the race, which is ridiculous and obviously inspiring. But I think I took something different from it than most people would. To me, I'm, I'm looking at the fact that, wow, the person who made the biggest mistake in this race still won the race. <laughs> And to mm-hmm. me, that is a, a big solution for concern over mistakes. The fact that you can make mistakes and still win, because everyone does make mistakes, whether or not they're concerned about it, but you can still win despite making mistakes, meaning you don't have to fear them as much as you might think. You, I like that a lot. Indeed, because I think most people say, oh, yeah, that's inspiring. So pick yourself up and right. you know, be resilient and never give up. But to really highlight the notion specifically that when the mistake maker is the victor, and, and I think that's like, isn't there a famous Michael Jordan commercial was like, I've missed so many shots, mm. you know, da, 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 da. and he's like, and I, I succeed because I failed over and over again. And so, okay, so that's kind of inspiring for whatever you're selling. But I think it's also true when, when people say, oh, you know, hey, failure is a learning opportunity. Like, yeah, okay. That kind of sometimes that feels like a cheap consolation prize that's in <laughs> that's insincere. Mm, right. Sometimes that, that these have that that could feel like that at the moment, even though it's true, it's intriguing to know that your mistakes truly can provide you with unique wisdom that gives you an edge. And so falling down and recovering, or just you know, learning some painful lessons that have you on guard effectively for next time. Yeah, that's cool. You can still win with mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the perfectionistic path is the this notion of that there's one path. It's blowing out the other runners in the race and winning. That's the only good thing, but real life is full of many different paths, some of which are quite painful, but even those painful ones have value. Even those mistakes have value, as you said. You you can learn from them, and you can win despite them. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then the final fifth subset: doubts about actions. Can you tell us about this? Yeah. So this this one has to do with projecting, which we all do all the time. It's thinking about an action and what the result of it might be, what it might entail. Uh, so doubts about action generally involves negative projections. So for someone about to make a cold call, they're likely going to think, I'm going to call this person, they're going to cuss me out, and they're going to hang up. <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's probably what they deal with quite a bit. That's It's a reasonable doubt to have. However, it's best to test these because they're very often not accurate. So one thing you can do if you struggle with doubts about actions is write down what you're projecting will happen, force yourself to do it anyway, 
and then write down what actually happened and compare your projection with what happened. And I think you're going to notice a lot of interesting differences between your projection and the reality. Mm, that's good. Yeah. And, and to see that happen over and over and over again, is going to make a real impression on that. Well, well this is, these are some great tools. I, I'd love it if you could share with us uh, one of your favorite stories. Maybe uh, readers have, have written into you and have, have told you some cool cool tales with regard to, hey, I was struggling with perfectionism and it was harmful in these ways, but I did X, Y, Z and have seen uh, great results over here. Sure. So one email I received, I couldn't find the email, so I can't be super specific, but I promise I did receive this email. <laughs> <laughs> a guy was struggling with his sales job and then he started a mini habit of one cold call a day, one sales call a day. And he reported back to me that he went over a million dollars in sales and was one of the top salesmen at the company now uh, because he committed to that imperfect little daily goal. And that's pretty cool. That's cool. I've actually done the same in my professional career. I've written four books now, which have done very well. A lot of people might not know that I did them by writing 50 words a day. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's about one paragraph, which, like any serious writer, that's embarrassing. But hey, <laughs> four books, that's, it seemed to work. That's cool. And then a really cool story, just something that I saw. Uh, I was on a cruise, and I went to the gym, and I saw this woman working out. And she had a full cast on her leg. <laughs> and I was like, wow, here's this woman working out harder than I am. And she, her leg is broken. <laughs> That's just really cool. Like, obviously, so many people would not even think about working out with a broken leg. But, you know, she still has her upper body. That is good. That's good. You've got a, a piece about how we look at our, our floors versus ceilings in terms of high-performing moments and low-performing moments. Can you expand upon that? Yeah, that relates to perfectionistic goals, too. Uh, a ceiling is the type of goal a lot of people will set where... As good as it could possibly be. Yeah, right. Perfect. <laughs> so for someone uh, exercising for an hour or selling 10 units in a day, that might be their ceiling. Whereas a floor is a starting point. And that's the key difference. A ceiling, you hit the ceiling and you're happy. But if you don't hit the ceiling, you're not happy if you're a perfectionist. If instead you take an imperfectionist look at it, you're going to be looking at your floor more closely than the ceiling. You're going to say, I'm going to at least do this much, this, this small amount, and then who knows where my ceiling is. I'm going to take it from here. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Well, Stephen, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Yes, the binary mindset. Mm -hmm. So I'll use giving a speech for this example because it's something a lot of people fear. When you're about to give a speech, you're going to generally think of it as a one to 10 situation. A one being you stumble over your words before passing out on stage. Mm -hmm. That would not be a very good speech. <laughs> a 10 being 
you actually, your skin begins to glow a little bit as you're speaking and you deliver the best sentences anyone's ever heard. And then you get a standing ovation and snow falls or something. So you have this whole spectrum of disaster to perfect. That's generally how people think going into a speech. And they're obviously trying to be more towards the perfect end of that spectrum. So the binary mindset changes that dynamic. It changes the one to a zero and the 10 to a one. So a zero is failure and a one is success. It's like uh, digital versus analog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If anyone knows about TV reception, a digital signal on a TV, it's either going to come through perfectly or it's not going to come through. Analog, you can get, you know, those slight fuzzies. So the, the reason the binary mindset is so effective is it changes your idea of victory. The one to 10 person, they're going to think of victory as maybe, if they're a perfectionist, maybe only 10 is good enough, or maybe, you know, nine or above is good enough. There's a lot of uh, opportunities to fail in there, which can perfect their performance while they're giving the speech, because maybe they do slip up and then they're like, oh, crap, I'm at a five. (laughs) And then they're not thinking about what they're trying to say, what they're trying to deliver to the audience. But a one or a zero, it's like, well, I showed up. I'm giving the speech. This is a win. If it does go poorly, I'm going to learn from it. If it does go well, that's great. Yeah, that's cool. Zero to one with the one being like the speech happened. I said the words. (laughs) People (laughs) heard the words. All right. Speech accomplished. (laughs) And it's really useful for a perfectionist because it, it kind of gives them that idea of perfect victory with the one being the quote unquote perfect victory. Yeah, that's cool. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, I came across this quote yesterday. (laughs) I don't know that it's my favorite, but it's my favorite right now. There's a singer named uh, Jane Markzewski, known as Nightbird. She recently passed away from cancer at 31 years old. Tragic. She was on America's Got Talent. And she's really talented. She blew the judges away. And Simon Cowell was getting choked up as he was talking about her performance and he paused and as he paused, she delivered this bomb to him. She said, you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. Mm -hmm. That just blew me away, like with her situation. And obviously it connects very well with the idea of being an imperfectionist. Yeah. Powerful. Thank you. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Yeah, there's a journal study, and they studied actions versus thoughts in terms of how it affects our emotions, because we we all struggle with emotions at times, and sometimes we would like to change our emotions from sad to happy, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, a journal study is just a study where people self-report, like, I did this today, and this is how it made me feel, that sort of thing. So they found that actions were responsible for emotional change 66% of the time versus only 33% for thoughts. 
Hmm. So that that's meaningful to me because I'm I'm very much an action first kind of person instead of trying to, you know, think your way too much through problems. It's often better just to get going in the direction you want to head. I see. And so we're talking about emotions, feeling happy versus sad and making a shift. Well, now I'm thinking about Tony Robbins, power moves, beat your chest, say yes, yes, yes. Sure. And I've changed my state. Is So that I guess that's one form of action, but, but it sounds like you're talking about specifically how you feel about a situation or a problem. Is that fair to say? Sure. Yeah. And so taking action toward resolving it will be better than thinking about, oh, what am I going to do? Yeah. Like if you struggle with anxiety, this is a really big one. A lot of people will try to think themselves through it, like try to think through their anxious thoughts and feelings. It's often better just to go work out or go for a walk or go to a sensory deprivation float tank. Oh, yeah. I thought you'd, do, you'd probably do a lot of thinking in there. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> the most relaxing experience I've ever had. Okay. I've been intrigued. I haven't actually signed up for an appointment, but I've been to the website like three times. I'm like, oh, that might be interesting or terrifying. Not sure. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's very different. Yeah. You might fall asleep too. Okay. And a favorite book? Uh, Your Brain at Work by David Rock. Just talks about the brain, mm -hmm. how it works. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job. Scrivener. It's a, a writing tool. I write my books in it. It just helps you to organize all your thoughts. And the hardest thing about writing a book is organizing it. Okay. And a favorite habit, something you do that helps you be awesome at your job? Exercise. Like the benefits are crazy. Mm -hmm. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with readers? They Kindle highlighted a bunch or quote it back to you frequently? Well, I can give you the the top highlight from my imperfectionist book. Oh, I love it. Let's bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> that is Never Forget This, semicolon. <laughs> it's easier to change your mind and emotions by taking action than it is to change your actions by trying to think and feel differently. Mm -hmm. Kind of relates to that study yeah. we talked about. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? StephenGuys.com. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-G-U-I-S-E. -E. All right. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their job? I do. It is don't care about results. Care about putting in the work. Don't care about problems. Care about making progress despite them. Or if you must fix something, focus on the solution. Don't care about what other people think. Care about who you want to be and what you want to do. Care less about doing it right. Care more about doing it at all. Don't care about failure. Care about success. Don't care about timing. Care about the task. All right, Stephen, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you all the best with your books and adventures and imperfectionism. Thank you, Pete. This was fun. I really love Stephen's point that the more you worry about performance, the less you can focus on performing. It's so much more fun to be in the moment and rock out instead of worrying about if it's good enough, what needs to be fixed, what are people thinking, all that stuff. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we reference are awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP756. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. 
first, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.